Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. John Manuel, J.J. Cooper here for your daily playoff fix. And we want to remind you our Baseball America podcast and Facebook Lives, because that'll come tomorrow. These are all sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com. Enter the offer code BASHIP and receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com for hats, shirts, and more today. Perfect time of year to get into Baseballism. If, it's, uh, if your weather is uh, like it is here you know, down south, don't need you, the hoodie tell, yet. you don't need the hoodie. You could go with a t-shirt. And maybe if they have a rain slicker, that might come in handy this week. Hot and muggy. It does not feel like October, JJ, weather-wise, but it sure feels like October on your television, on your however you consume baseball in 2017. It feels like October, and this weekend and, was pretty great baseball. By the way, when you, when you talk about that, like there was a point this weekend where I got banished because... You know, one kid wanted to watch something, one kid wanted to watch something else. But the great thing about baseball, you know, in 2017 from the standpoint is, is it's okay. Yeah, I'll, just take, occupied, yeah. I'll just take my tablet That's and right. I will enjoy it on this. And it's no problem at all. You know, but it, it, I will ask you, the, the thing that stood out, like if I said of all the games, the one from the weekend that was like, and there were a lot of good ones. There were a lot of good ones. There were a lot of good ones. I mean, I could, I could easily make the argument for the Yankees game yesterday. You know, that was thrilling Yankees Indians but mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with that Nats game from Saturday I'm guessing you might too because that just was you know my favorite game of the weekend actually I think it was Friday night was game two Indians Yankees that was an epic oh, that, game it feels like that it feels like that it feels like that was a, a month ago it does <laughs> we have a lot to go that game over. was insane but that game was crazy and uh, that was I, again like we talked about kind of previewing it and previewing the ALDS about, I think everyone respects how good the Indians, the Cleveland team is. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. I have to give Keith Law props. He never calls them the Cleveland Indians. They just call them Cleveland. And I'm kind of there with him. It is frustrating to watch the and constantly see the logo. I don't care about tradition about that. And I'm Greek Orthodox. I'm saying I don't care about tradition. And I went to church yesterday, and I said the exact same service and the same prayers have been saying for literally... 1,700 years, 334, so not literally, just shy of 1,700 years. So I know tradition, okay? And that is not a tradition worth preserving. Just like 
Not letting women step in the altar is not a tradition worth preserving, but saying the Lord's Prayer is. There are certain traditions that are worth preserving and some that are not. Uh, I'm I'm off on a tangent. It's early, but um, that is one that's not worth preserving. Um, So it's tough to watch the Indians in that regard. That's literally the only way it's tough to watch them. They play with so much style. They play with passion. They have a variety of different ways they can beat you. And the tried and truest way to win games in 2017 is power pitching and power bats. And that's how you come back from an 8-3 to deficit. That and the fact that you never believe you're going to get beat. So a game where Corey Kluber starts and you're losing 8-3 and you come back and win, that it should be the sign of a great team. But the Yankees are pretty doggone good too, JJ, because uh, that game three was epic. How much, though, did Joe Girardi need that win yesterday from the standpoint of it is very rare that a team loses a game. And I know you can make the, well, the guy's still got to make the pitch, all that. It's very rare that you have a game where you go, no, the manager 100% basically is the one who is culpable for that loss. He certainly was the most culpable. He was Because, again, we do not know. It's possible right. that the Indians would have had a, a, a comeback in the seventh instead of the sixth. There's some alternate universe but, where other stuff may have But the reality of it is, 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 very, it is very rare. It is very, very rare that when you can say, you know, the manager made a decision, and that cost them four runs. Yeah, it sure seems like it. I mean, it was a direct... <laughs> Correlation. A equals B in that case. And again, in a situation where there, the day two he came around and is like, you know what, I feel awful about it, which is the right answer because these things happen. You have to make these decisions in a split second. The reality of it is, is there is no defensible when you know that the next inning those challenges just sit in your pocket. Right. And when you know that the excuse of I don't want to take my pitcher out of the rhythm. If there's a 10% shot that the inning is over, you take the 10% shot that the inning is over because then you don't have to worry about rhythm. Right. You pat them on the back and go, good job. You know, but, <laughs> exactly. um, but no, that was an amazing game. You know, we had, we, we have the, uh, the burgeoning development of the legend of Kyle Hendricks, which happened on Friday night. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, JJ, maybe it was just the wild card games and maybe the, I mean, I know we had subpar starting pitching in the first couple of games of the division series. But we actually got good starting pitching. We got seven innings out of pitchers. We still haven't got a CG, and I don't think we're going to get one. But we did have uh, Masahiro Tanaka and Kyle Hendricks both. And Steve, by the way, Steven Strasburg, who says pitched, hello. He, he was it's like, I pitched pretty well, too. That was probably the best pitching performance of the weekend. I thought, I really, I really do. As good, and Tanaka was outstanding last night. But Strasburg, there's so much wrapped up. In Strasbourg, pitching a playoff game. Hey, wasn't this supposed to happen four years ago? You know, or was it five years ago? I guess five years ago. God, yeah. time really does fly. And to hear, I forget who was doing color for that game. I think it was Ron Darling. And he comped it early in that game. He said, this feels like his major league debut against the Pirates in this stadium in 2010. Which, which is something that, that is literally, when I say burned in my memory. It's a top five Baseball America moment ever, isn't it? Oh, easy. Like, yeah. if you said... I mean, that is one thing that did strike me is, is I was sitting back and trying to replay in my head some of last year's postseason. And one thing about the fact, and I'm not complaining about this, it's just the reality of it, though, is, is that, and I know we're also in a weird bubble where we are. Right. There's so much baseball that happens that it is hard for me to remember specific moments. Correct. I'm right out, there with you. Because I'm watching so much baseball and all. So if you say, hey, 
do you remember in game two of the World Series? And I would be sitting there and I'll tell you, be honest, I'd have to go back and look at it. Right. Because also, I'm looking at it and I care about all these games, but at the same time, it's different. If you're if you're a Cubs fan, I understand that you have every moment of game one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven right. from that series. You lived every moment of them like you've never lived them before, right. you know, unless you've been around since 1945. Right. I get that. But for us, like, I have trouble, like, pulling up those, except if they're not really. If you ask me about Madison Bumgarner in Game 7 of 14, easy. Right. But, you're, you're, we're not rainy on the Royals. We're not remembering every single but, moment but, and replaying them for years. Right. The reality of it is is that there's so much good baseball that happens in October that it kind of, the brain only has so much and it moves on. Yeah. But the thing that stands out to me about this is, is that we've had already, like, I do believe, you know, several moments, but that Strasburg one, going back to it, that Strasburg one is one I'll never forget because that was, I remember watching it, and we talked about this on the podcast multiple times, it's like, we're seeing a guy who, he will pitch, he will be a better pitcher down the road. Right. But we'll never, we don't, we may never see him be better as far as his stuff. Correct. That was not equal of that stuff, but it wasn't that, you know, it, it was wasn't pretty, far off. It wasn't was, far off. He was very, very, very good, so... Uh, top three moments of the weekend. I think that you're right, though. I do think the Bryce Harper home run, for me, just because it's of who it was, when he did it, how dead that stadium seemed right, coming right after yet another Trey Turner just uh, knife-turning at bat where the Nats fans are booing him. Um, and then, on top of it, it's against the World Se- defending World Series champions, and Anthony Rizzo is basically getting like every hit they ever need mm-hmm. and driving in every run, but it's also one a of team these that has the necessary arrogance because they've earned it. No question. And you had John Lester pitch well, doing John Lester postseason things that he's done since basically 2007. And oh, by the way, you have the the Bryce Harper and what a big deal he is. And you have this curious uh, uh, managerial decision that was perfectly logical considering C.J. Edwards. Success against left-handed pitcher hitters this year. I think in the regular season they had a 473 OPS against him, but it was still, huh? This is weird. In the postseason, we're seeing Bryce Harper face a right-handed pitcher with a game on the line. That doesn't happen very often no. anymore, JJ. And it probably won't happen again in this series because he annihilated that pitch. And plus, just the way that that was just a majestic home run off a hanging breaking ball. And that was a pretty good bat flip. Uh, it was an understated, it was an in a way. It was, but, and the thing about it is, again... It was you, not a Korean bat flip. It was a Bryce Harper but, arrogant bat flip. But when you talk about it, though, it, again, and we don't need to get into a whole bat flip discussion, but yes, it wasn't even course. the best. It also wasn't the best bat flip of the weekend. Right. Yasiel Puig, yes. the bat flip on the single that didn't even score a run, yeah. best bat flip of the weekend. Yeah. But <laughs> the thing about it is, is that, like, the other thing that stands out with that is is it is obviously if if when we're watching Bryce Harper, it is impossible not to get, you know, just hyped about watching it because again, this is a guy who you wrote the first thing I think that ever appeared about Bryce Harper in Baseball America or baseballamerica.com, which was eighth grade Bryce Harper, yeah. who was the best player in his state as an eighth grader ahead of Nico Goodrum, right? Who was No, 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 no Nico Vasquez. Nico Vasquez, Nico Vasquez. Who was, was a second round second pick? Round pick. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, Nico Vasquez was completely showed up in BP by this eighth grader who's going to be far, far greater. Who also, like, blew 96 mile an hour yes. shed past him. Yes. <laughs> and the thing about it is, is that Bryce Harper does get injured more than, you know, he, he and he plays in a way that I kind of 
think that this is always going to be a part of his career is, mm-hmm. is that, you know, the way he plays, he's going to miss time at times. That being said, we now have, as a 22-year-old, Bryce Harper was just uh, at a <laughs> inner-level Hall of Fame type season. Like, that's a season that is what you expect from the greats. Right. And then this year, you look at it and you say, okay, missed time. But this season is not that, but it wasn't that far off. And here he does it. He's hit now five home runs in the postseason, yeah. and he's 24 years old. Yeah. And they're not even, again, this is not a team that's going deep in postseasons. Bryce Harper. I mean, you could argue that's the biggest moment in the franchise's history going back to Montreal. I mean, you really can. I'm not, I'm not making that argument. I saw that debate being had on Twitter. Today. The funny thing is, is, so then we have Zimmerman's home run. Which also could arguably be the biggest moment. But the thing about Zimmerman's home run, and I don't want to pour water, but that, that was one where it was like, I, I, that was, he hit that ball really high. And it just kept carrying and kept carrying, kept carrying. And you're like, okay, this that that was a moment to me that felt like, okay, this is baseball in 2017. Yeah, off the bat, I thought he got it. Then you watch Zobers, you're like, oh, he missed it. And then it's like, wait, that got out? And then you're like, why didn't Ben Zobers jump? I mean, I know Ben Zobers is older, but like, <laughs> like too much Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge showed <laughs> Aaron, us Aaron the Judge importance doesn't of, jump for that. He just goes, he was on oh, his tippy toes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but those two guys showed us the importance of really good outfield defense. And Ben Zobers is an infielder. And I know he's played outfield his career. I know he's played it a lot. But he's an infielder. He showed us on that play, you saw the difference in really how important, you know, you, you see defensive runs saved and all these formulas. You could see how, you know, Ben Zobers could have saved three runs. I'm not saying he should have made that play because it was really high. Mm-hmm. But his effort uh, and his ability to time it and all that stuff compared to what we saw Betts do and Reddick almost do when he knocked the ball into the, uh, over the fence with the Reds on that Jackie Bradley home run. And Judge did uh, last night taking away that home run from uh, Lindor. That was a pretty big contrast. So what else stands out? Again, we can't dissect it all. I right. mean, we would be here. We, we have other stuff we have to do today because we literally could spend all day. How about David Price? <laughs> How about David? You talk about people who are embattled by the media. Joe Girardi embattled. Doesn't seem like he's having very much fun being the uh, uh, manager of the New York Yankees anymore. And Buster Olney this morning on Mike and Mike on ESPN Radio said that he wouldn't be surprised if if Olney's not back next year. It's as much because uh, Girardi doesn't want to come back as much as if he gets fired. So that was interesting, um, interesting news. But I would say that David Price, he kind of was in his uh, own self-made conundrum of taking on the Boston media for really no good reason this year, if you count Dennis Eckersley as Boston media. I think he'd have a little bit more sympathy if he took on curly-haired boyfriend as a Carl Everett called Dan Shaughnessy, which I, you know, my interactions with Dan Shaughnessy have been great. So I, I don't know him, but I know he was, you know, when I, again, my interactions with him have been very positive, but I know a lot of people in Boston don't like him. There are a lot of media members in the Boston area that uh, aren't, aren't fan favorites um, and do that on purpose, but Dennis Eckersley is not one of them. He's an ex-player, and the confrontation they had this year over Eduardo Rodriguez and and what uh, Eckersley said about him. So Price has had a very difficult year physically. He's had a difficult year with the media there. And the pitch that he pitched, uh, he's been the only Red Sox pitcher, really, who's put up consistent zeros in this series. And the Astros' offense, we've talked about it, JJ, just how good they are. Relentless. David Price was on, what, a day's rest or two Mm -hmm. days rest? I guess it was one day's rest to go four scoreless. That was a pretty good effort. That was one of the best efforts we've seen of any pitcher in the postseason. And and the other thing that stands out about it is is that when you you've, you've already talked about this the the game in 2017, 
I don't know. Like, the reality of it is, is you're right. He's not, you know, like they said, like, I mean, because of his elbow and all that, Doug Fister got the start. Right. And it did mean, and Doug Fister wasn't around for long. I mean, you, <laughs> right. you know, you, but, but in the end, I don't know that what David Price did, I, again, I, I don't, I'm trying to catch up to baseball. And I think everyone is to where it is now as far mm-hmm. as how pitching is dealt with and all. But I don't know that what that the ability to do that basically, which is a hard job to do. I mean, that's the thing I don't mm-hmm. think I think we want need to emphasize here. Yeah, it is not easy. It is one thing to be told, "Here's your game," and go out there and basically now, yes, nowadays there are no there's no pitching in a pinch. This is not 1905 <laughs> right. where you're like. I can just put it over the plate for these yeah. next three because this is a nothing. Two, this is a 2012 College World Series. <laughs> you know, you're not pitching in TD Ameritrade right. Park with softballs. So your every pitch has to be a pitch with purpose. Every pitch, you know that if you make one mistake, eight guys in the lineup can basically hit a home run off yep. it. All that you got all that, but it is harder to me. And from when I've talked to pitchers, it is harder for them to say I'm going to go through the lineup a time and a half. On basically no notice, right? Compared to, I'm going to start and try to give you six. Yep. That is harder to do, and David, that's what David Price did. But at the same time, I don't know that David like you need better out of Fister to do this. But yeah. I don't know that he's not actually more valuable to them in, as this like okay super reliever, super right reliever now. who will take four innings of a game away. That's, I just don't know how I don't know how tenable that is. We'll see. Today will be interesting because there is forecast for rain in the Northeast, so we're scheduled for four games. We may just get two: Boston and New York. Mm-hmm. Both those games are in question. And although the worst to, scenario is, is you get like these rain, del- you know, like rain delay that each right. pitching instead Correct. of saves pitching. That's right. Um, I will say in that same Red Sox game, AJ Hinch got Hinch got some flag for taking out Brad Peacock too early. So I think that the the you know. I just think it's really hard. I don't think we know kind of where we are yet. I do think the, the the game that was the highest quality game of the weekend was the game where Tanaka and Carrasco were both on their games and both pitched deep into that game and pitched very well. Both teams needed, you know, it did come down to a battle of the bullpens and Greg Bird got Andrew Miller, which that's also like, you know, <laughs> Again. I mean, like on the strat cards, you know, that ain't happening. I, don't, I, I, I think guess I there's no home runs think... against lefties on on Bird's strat card and no home runs allowed against lefties on Miller's strat card. So that ain't happening on the cards, but in real life, Greg Bird annihilated that baseball. And, Hashtag Colorado. And then Aroldis Chapman, yes. who seems to have put, you know, <laughs> Again, whatever it was, and I, I, I was subscribed to the. Did you see how much I pitched last October? It, yeah. You know, I was tired. Yes. You know, but you, that oh, was. By the way, did you see that Aroldis Chapman favorited a yes. Instagram post yes. that called Joe Girardi an imbecile? Yes. So he had an interesting weekend. Yes. But <laughs> to go out and do the five out, say the the other thing that struck me as I was watching that last night is is that. What Mariano Rivera did, and when Mariano Rivera did it, it was something that was like this outlier of many sorts. Like what stood out about Mariano Rivera was, is that when we got into the Larusa form of this is the this guy's the seventh, this guy the eighth, this guy the ninth. Joe Torre, you know, with Rivera would use him as the two inning save, which right. was you know, is now becoming kind of. The norm. Which it should have been. It should have been. That's the thing. is He made it look easy, and I know it wasn't easy, 
but it certainly was a very successful strategy, and it was on display every October. And why other teams weren't trying? But I do to think in 2017. That, now we look at it and we say, if a, if you're saving your closer, and again, okay, if you've got Fernando Rodney and you're saving him for the night, feel free. <laughs> sure, exactly. But if you've got Craig Kimbrell or you've got a Roldis Chapman, or you've got one of these guys, you know, who is the uh, is a guy who, when he comes into the game, you go, man, it is going to be almost impossible for us to come back. Right. You saving that guy till the ninth doesn't make a whole lot of sense, even if it means you, again right. you never. It, it comes back to in the postseason, you never know what the next game's going to be like. I would rather, I would rather use a Rollis Chapman for five pick, yeah. five outs there, when you don't know you don't know it's going to rain today or not, and, the most and you su- don't know if it may be an eight run game in the late innings. And the surprise, most surprising part was they not just they use him in the eighth inning. But they used him in the eighth inning against the bottom of the lineup. It was Jan Gomes and Giovanni Urshela. So they were right-handed hitters, but also guys that you would figure, if you trusted Batances, mm-hmm. Dylan Batances would go get those guys. Or Tommy Canely. Or the Reds, the Yankees have such depth in their bullpen. You'd figure you would have gone to one of those guys and then saved Chapman for the ninth inning. And that would have been perfectly acceptable, I think, managing. But I think the pre- you're down 2-0. It's the Indians. They seem like they have this mojo. Uh, the Indians did seem to also miss Edwin Encarnacion. That was not one of the top three moments of the weekend. But that was definitely the ugliest baseball oh. injury of the weekend. That just looked gross. Uh, t- I mean, I'm thankful he didn't break anything because yeah. it, when he was when he went down, that looked like oh you you know that that may be broken ankle. I mean that was I was I, was, I thought that I mean, it wasn't a broken wing because it was a broken ankle. But I would have been making broken Edwin jokes if. They were funny, so I won't make them. Um, <laughs> JJ, there, there's a lot going on in that series. We haven't even, we barely touched on the National Leagues uh, on the interdivision series with the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. A, those games are late, so I'm sure that Kyle Glazer will pop in here at some point and he'll have watched all of them and he'll throw in some Arizona State football jokes uh, as well. But that series has been the highest scoring series so far. 9-5 and 8-5 Dodger victories. Um I'm kind of curious if we do. Do you feel like Arizona has the ability to come back and beat the Dodgers three straight times? No. They've got Zach Greinke going I mean, back home, but no. Huh. No, no, I mean not again. When you talk about it, it's baseball. I, I would never say that it's impossible for never, any yeah. team to not win three games in a row because that happens all the time. Every, you know, <laughs> clearly, the Dodgers, admittedly, not with exactly the lineup they have now, but. The Dodgers had a stretch where they could not win for two and a half weeks. So, right, you know, right. if you said, is it possible that they'll get cold? Absolutely. But, I, again, I do think right now you are looking as good as the Diamondbacks are. This Dodgers team is better. I, the thing that stands out to me about that series, and I know Cody Bellinger has not, this yeah. is not a series he's going to go. Has he made contact yet? Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, this has been a terrible series at the plate for him. This has been Justin Turner's series where Justin Turner has been, in you know, just out of his gourd. Yes. That said, I love watching Cody Bellinger play first base. Oh, yeah. I really, really do. It is everything that we thought it would be. You know, you, you, this is one of those things where you're writing about when he was in, you know, low A, then high, and all that. And it's like, no, no. This is the first baseman who plays center field on the days he doesn't, you know, and you watch him. You're trying to value as a prospect a first baseman. And with the bar being so high for first baseman, but then you're watching, you're seeing this guy, you're seeing the numbers, you're talking to scouts about him in the minor leagues, and it's like, this guy's hitting for a ton of power. This is like seven power. He does have field to hit. The defensive value, JJ, just is so off the charts. And we had, you know, we were getting like sixes and sevens, especially as an amateur, on Dominic Smith. I'm not trying to bash Dominic Smith. 
Where we're getting sixes and sevens on Cody Bellinger. And then you see the bodies. And you watch them play. And it's like, one guy looks like he could maintain this. And the other guy does not. And that's one of the reasons. It's a power. But also, like, the defensive scouting reports. You, they were very easy to believe on Cody Bellinger. There, those would be maintained. There's two guys over the last five, maybe even ten years that I can think of where scouts, like with first baseman, where scouts, and I, know, and I know there was someone, Dominic Smith, I don't want to do, but Cody Ballinger, when he was in the minors, it was something where it's like, no, 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 this is, this is a gold glove first Significant baseman. Significant asset. This was like, when they said, it wasn't, proje- it was like, no, no, no. He's now. The, the day he arrives in the big leagues, he'll be one of the best first basemen defensively. And he is, you know, they don't, he, if he's and not her Keith Fernandez-like, he is at, okay, maybe he's one notch below that, but he is exceptional. Yeah. And then the same thing, we haven't even seen him much yet as a pro, but it was like when you're Evan White this year at Kentucky yeah. where you were getting, right. I, I want to talk about the first baseman's defense, which is something that never happens. But one of the things that makes sense with that is, is that occasionally you are going to have guys who play first base like a shortstop. Right. Because it's like every four or five years. If you like throw James with Loney, your left hand. Yeah. But James Loney was that kind of guy. He was described that mm-hmm. way in low minors. Eric Hosmer certainly was described that way in the mm-hmm. low minors. And is a good, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's a great But he's been a multiple base, gold lover. But he's, he's really good, yep. And uh, to me, Bellinger is a little better than both those guys. He just seems like he's a more so fluid smooth. athlete. So fluid. And we saw it, again, I've talked and about so it And so comfortable years. turning, like, again, that when you take a first baseman who is com- who has that fluidity with a comfort at throwing. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. He is, I mean, again, it's, it's, you go back 40 years in Dodger history, and Steve Garvey loved to have range, but he did not like to throw the ball, so he's just got the sprint, you know? Um, Bellinger has that range, plus he's a left-handed thrower, so he can range to his right like he's a, you know, a, a significant asset as an infielder. And when he ranges, boy, you know, Rich Hill better get over and not be old man Rich Hill. And he didn't get over at one point, but this guy can make, he's a playmaker as a first baseman. But also, and the thing about this is for a first base, when you talk about, you know, comfortable throwing, there is no, first base is the position where there's no easy throw. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it. Right, no, you're right. So your throws to first base are, you have a pitcher coming over, and you are basically trying to place the ball, lead the pitcher properly. Right. So you place the ball so he catches it and can focus on getting his foot on the back. Yeah. That's difficult. Turning two is basically you are you you have a base runner to interact with. Right. Okay, I can't, you know, I've got to make sure but also I've got to feed the ball. And sometimes I've got to feed the ball and then I've got to take off to cover, you know, again, sometimes you got to cover usually the pitcher, but sometimes there's never an easy throw, and he makes all those throws. They're, they're all in his toolbox, and they're all easy for him. And the thing is, you kind of, you know, one of the things that I got to see him do in the NHSI in 2013 was field a bunt. It was, a, it was his team, uh, Hamilton, I, I believe it was. Hamilton or Horizon, I get those mixed up in the Arizona, uh, against Milton, Georgia High School with Dylan Cease as a junior. Um, I'll never forget that game because both guys were like, really just stood out. And he fielded a bunt in that. Hamilton game was Hamilton High. Thank you. He fielded a bunt in that game because Milton and cut down a runner at third base. Was like he really did. I think I, I wrote the game off that game. It looked like Keith Hernandez. I mean, you just you just remember from back when we were kids, Keith Hernandez crashing on uh, bunts and just annihilating base runners. Uh, and that's we just don't get to see Cody Bellinger do that very much because but there's again, just fewer bunts. But the other thing about it is, is there are very, very, very few first basemen 
who can do that, right. who are comfortable doing that, and essentially playing like a third baseman. Because right? for, for one, to do that comfortably, you, you essentially have to be, you are a shortstop third baseman caliber defender. Like you said, you believe that you can make that play. You're not... But you just happen to throw left-handed. That's it. And so. very few, I mean, the reality is, is yes, being left, throwing left-handed is one of the reasons you end up at first base. But very few guys are there, and it's like, well, you know, this guy's really, if he was right-handed, he'd be a shortstop. Yeah, the dad played... Shortstop in the big leagues, uh, you know that's the how his dad got to the big leagues. So uh, we're, we're talking West Coast. So Kyle, we, we've already pre- told our listeners at some point you were going to show up and tell us more about this West Coast series. We've been harping on the fact that Cody Bellinger's defense is one of the most fun things to watch about this series. I, I, I am still stunned that Tony Singrani made the Yankees, uh, the Yankees, the Dodgers playoff roster and appeared in the game of the day. And uh, I'm not stunned that Kelly Jansen with a five out save. Um, what stood out to you about this series so far, this Dodgers-Diamondback series? Well, one thing for me is the Dodgers have been jumping on them right away. I mean, that's a really, really talented offense. We talked, I think, before the series started that it was a really good offense that when they're at their best, I mean, they were right with the Nationals. It's one of yeah. the best offenses in the major leagues. And then they had that horrendous stretch where everything seemed to go wrong at once. And we talked about when they're, when they're on – I'll, I'll take that offense against anyone's, Astros included. When they're but on, they have Yasiel Puig hitting eighth. Right. <laughs> I, mean, like, when, I mean, come on. But they're you know? so streaky. And so I think for me, that's the biggest thing. I mean, as soon as Justin Turner hit that home run in game one, the electricity in the air at Dodgers Stadium, it was almost a statement of, okay, we've come to swing the bats. This isn't going to be the Dodgers offense you saw during that late August, early September swoon. And I think that, I mean, we talk about JT and what he means to this team. It's kind of funny. There's so many stars. Seager is a bona fide superstar. Belcher's a great rookie. Puig does so many exciting and sometimes head-scratching things. Chris Taylor is the biggest surprise of 2017. But, but, yeah. but Justin Turner really is the heart and soul yes. of this team. And so I think when he hit that moonshot into the night off Taiwan Walker, that to me set the entire tone. And for right now, I mean, it's going to be a good match tonight. You know Zach Greinke probably isn't going to give up a seven spot. You think at least. This postseason, we don't know. But if the Dodgers' offense is swinging the bats, as they have been, to me this is not just a World Series team. I might take them to win the whole thing. They won 104 games in the world in the regular season, so they really should be the favorite. But when you have a losing streak like they had, you're not going to be the favorite. Uh, did you guys see the Arizona, the AZ Central? Uh, they say satirical story that was called how to spot a Dodger fan. Did you see this, story? I have not seen it yet, but have you it seen this, surprise Jay? me. So for okay. those who don't know, Arizona Arizona has a very weird relationship with Southern California. They always visit. It's sort of a weird... I would say it's summed up by one word. Jealous? I mean, <laughs> like, that's really what it's, it is. It's a little bit. You have a lot a of... A little bit? Well, it's it's a lot of it. And I say this as... I'm trying not to insult my Arizona friends. I have a lot of them, but... It's not that it has nothing to do with anything other than they don't have any water. I mean, like, Los so Angeles... They, so Los, they, they look at Los Angeles and go, man, I wish we had that water. Where they water. really come was Mission Beach and San Diego. I swear to gosh, whenever I will go home for spring break, I felt like I was back at ASU. You'd see all the Arizona plates. You'd see the ASU parking tag. I mean, <laughs> I, it was amazing, but yeah, I did not see this. But ever since the Dodgers jumped in the pool, Arizona Diamondbacks fans especially have had a special like hatred in their heart for the Dodgers. <laughs> you would think it would be like the Cubs. I guess they just like the Cubs too much. There's so many Cubs There's fans so many in Chicago Arizona. Re- right. Arizona's mostly people who relocated from, from the, the Midwest. Midwest. Right. The Californians that go to Arizona for school typically go back to California. All the Midwesterners who went there stay. They're like, I've had enough sausage for my life. But this is so this is how it starts. Uh, this article. Sample field guide to spotting the typical Dodger fan. 
Their LA jerseys and hats are brand new, purchased from the bandwagon souvenir stand. They fire up Facebook Live and transmit the game as if they have baseball's express written consent. And they don't. They pony up for seats right behind home plate so they can put uncredited baseball fan background on their acting resumes. Some of these are kind of funny. When the Dodgers fall behind, they focus on Twitter and feign indifference. Like salmon swimming upstream, they instinctively head to the exits by the seventh inning regardless of score, ostensibly to beat traffic. More likely they're bored because not one person has recognized them. Um, I mean, it goes on. So now... Now this has been added. It's an update at the top of the story. We're adding this note due to the tremendous social media reaction of this art that this article received. This piece was meant to be in jest, satirical, tongue-in-cheek, all in good fun. If you want, hit us back with your favorite D-backs fan mischaracterization and assumption. There'd have to be D-backs fans, first of all, to do that. Oh, zinger. I'm not even a Dodger fan. And for those of you who bleed Dodger blue, congrats on making it to the division series. Every successful team is a rabid fan base. You've clearly shown you were that. That's the thing that kills me the most. It's easy to make fun of Dodger fans, but there are more than three million Dodger fans every year since they got to. The, I, I would, I bet that if you go back to when the Dodgers showed up in Los Angeles in 1958, that they lead Major League Baseball in attendance. And, and by the way, period. Do remember, and that is with. Most of them being unable to watch their team on yeah. a nightly basis yeah. on TV. And, and, and the Frank McCourt era, you saw a lot of the fans dwindle, and rightfully so. But it is. A, I, I, I would say that you could be a legit Dodgers fan. You're like, I am going in hiatus until he gets rid. Of, you know, till he that's sells exactly, the team. That's exactly that what is happened. a that was that's a exactly fair response. That, that is a that was exactly what happened, similar to what the Chargers fans did with Dean Spanos. But anyway, moving back to baseball, I mean, the thing right <laughs> Dean now... Dean Spanos reference. Oh, absolutely. Right. But one of the biggest things that... It, it's always like a really weird mischaracterization. <laughs> I've covered those Dodgers postseason games. I covered a lot of Dodgers regular season games when I was out there. Every game's, for the most part, sold out. They're loud. And yes, they show up late. If you sat in L.A. traffic, you'd want to get a head start as well. And you know what? This is one of baseball's most historic franchises in terms of money, in terms of fan support, in terms of Hall of Famers, and obviously the World Series success hasn't been there for 30 years. You know the last time the Dodgers drew less than 2 million fans? 1972. I'm just saying, like, even in the McCourt era, they dropped under 3 million fans once. And a, a I mean, that have the Diamondbacks ever drawn 3 million fans? I'm just saying, the Do Dodger fans get a lot of heat, and I understand why. And yet, I really do think... 19, 1998, 1999, and 2002 are the There you go. Years. That's it. So they yeah, haven't done it in 15 but again, years. Now, I'll say this. Phoenix, LA... And they, and they want... But they also... And they want a new stadium. I mean, come on, When man. Chase Field <laughs> slash the Bob really is... I mean, yes. They've let some things get out of hand, but it's On fine. purpose, it, I'm sure. Right. It, yes, it's fine. No, I think it's... It's always seemed a little weird to me that people take shots at Dodgers fans. That's, all, frankly, that's all I'm saying. Of all, of all the, like, franchises... I've covered games at Wrigley, I've covered games at Fenway, I've covered games at Yankee Stadium. Dodger fans are every bit as rabid and every bit as into it, and for some reason the East Coast and Midwest fans don't like hearing that, and how long is the truth. How long has Mary Hart had those seats? I mean, come on. Like, I, I mean, like, every time the camera cuts behind home plate, I want to hear, first off, I want to see Kramer freak out because he hears her voice, and second of all, I want that da na 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 I want that entertainment tonight. <laughs> Just, she's always there, and I will take Mary Hart as Dodger fan over the Crypt Keeper, a.k.a. Larry King, every day of the playoffs. So it just, I just think it just stands out to me that, that Mary Hart's always there. And she's always complaining about the home plate umpire. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, the one thing tonight I'm going to be watching for this game, if we're sticking on the West Coast, this is what the Dodgers acquired you Darvish for. Come in, give us that right-handed postseason start that we can really, really ride on. 
he had, he had you know an okay success against Paul Goldschmidt especially in his one start against the Diamondbacks earlier this year. Back when the Diamondbacks wore their throwback jerseys for a game, and they really <laughs> should go back to those. throwback jerseys. Yes. Throwback to the 20th century, to 1998. But I really do think this is going to be that's going to be the main storyline this game to me because I do think even if you know if the Dodgers drop a game here, just as we've seen the other teams up 2-0 go on the you know yeah. drop a game. Cubs are the only team to win a game on the road so far in the in this postseason, I mean, which is kind of amazing. You know, so even if they, I still think the Dodgers win this series, but I'm gonna be really curious to see which Hugh Darvish shows up because there were some starts there that were pretty ugly, and I think for the Dodgers, you know, we talked a lot at the trade deadline about you make this move, this is a, you're going for it in the World Series. Again, not that if he has this one bad postseason start, the entire postseason is a tank. But that, to me, is the main storyline. This is what we acquired you for. Go out there, finish the job, see what we can do. And the other guy who's kind of in that same spot as Jose Quintana tonight, JJ. I mean, first start of his in the play, postseason for Jose Quintana in his career. This is why the Cubs went out and got him. Also, the other three years of control. But uh, if he doesn't pitch well, he's going to get the lackey face in the clubhouse. <laughs> I would want to stay away from the lackey face. Uh, you got that, and you also have okay for the for the Nationals. How healthy is Max Scherzer? Right. Yeah. Uh, how healthy? And again, now the thing about that is, is if I'm the Nationals, I'm not looking for the great thing about 2017 baseball is this, I'm not asking him to give me nine. Right. Exactly. I'm not even asking him to give me seven. But you did. But he gets give me thirty a, million dollars a year. So if you give me seven, eight, or nine, this but, is kind but of we what understand. For. But we understand though that you are. I mean, he's coming back. You know, from right. from injury. Give me a really good five to six. I never put anything past Max Scherzer. I mean, that guy is, I mean, he really is as entertaining to watch pitch as any pitcher in baseball. Um, and mostly it's just the competitiveness. I, I really do like it when his veins are like bulging out. He's like a Ren and Stimpy character that, pitching. I mean, he's really, he's veiny. He's, but he gets that, intense. That, that is the game I'm most excited about today from the standpoint of, yeah. again, we could have, we could, weather, Permitting, yes. we could have three series that could be decided today. But that's the one where, to me, the path of this series, you have Scherzer versus Quintana. Whoever wins this game takes the lead. And, you know, you have two, two teams that have history as far as not against each other, but the Cubs who are trying to defend the World Series and the Nationals who need yes. desperately to can win we a, make it to the LCS. We're we win a postseason series right. one time. And if you did that by beating the Cubs, yeah, even more to it. So that is the series. That's the game that everything, you know, again, 2-1 is going to feel a lot better than 1-2 in that series. And so you look at that, like, again, if you're the Astros today, weather permitting, and Rick Porcello outduels, you know, Charlie Morton, you know, and you lose that game, okay, well, it gets real interesting because now it's 2-2. But you're still like, okay, we're, we're, still, we're still fine. You know, you look at it, you say... The you've Dodgers. Home, you've got the, the The Dodgers, if they win and it's over, but if they don't, they you still feel like they're in control of that series. And then, really, if the Yankees, if Severino pitches a little better, well, actually, <laughs> if he gets two outs, better, if he gets two outs, if he gets <laughs> two outs this week, you know. But you have if they beat the if they beat Cleveland tonight, you know, it is something where you say, okay, and that's two two, and that's going to be a fascinating final game. But if you're Cleveland, you do have in the back of your head, let's finish them tonight. We got the the Washington Chicago series. That's the one where it again winning two games is not impossible for any of these teams, obviously. But that's the series where you have the pivot point tonight. Yeah, completely agree. And I must say, it's been a very you know entertaining postseason so far. 
Last year's postseason was still one of the best postseasons I can remember start to finish, starting with that wild card game between the, uh, with both wild card games actually, all the way to the World Series. But we've had a nice start to this postseason. All these games have been entertaining. There's been a lot of big home runs. As much as the starting pitchers have not always been great, we have seen some good pitching performances. We've yeah. started, I mean, Tanaka, a little bit of everything. Tanaka last night. David Price, new Red Sox hero. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, well, they would have two years ago, and they gave him $217 million. It is amazing. Like, uh, Dan Shaughnessy wrote it last night, like how he's pitched his way into fans' hearts. Red Sox fans are really, are they really that fickle? I guess they are. No, no, when you say that, let's be honest, he hasn't pitched his way into Red Sox fans' hearts. He's pitched his way to basically where, okay, well, let's see what you do next time. That's right, exactly. Because... The same story would be if, if he blows it in Game 5 will be, well, David Price didn't, you know. Well, Eric J. Alves asks on the Twitter machine, do Red Sox hope game is played to keep momentum from yesterday and take chances with Porcello or hope for rain so Sale and Price are ready for Game 4? I think uh, there's an obvious answer to that one. Yeah, I mean, I, Sale and Price. I mean, come on, the Price. Momentum is, in the playoffs is... is Who's on the mound. It's who's on the mound. And let's... Momentum, I don't care what you did yesterday... If in the first inning, you know, Porcello gets shelled, nothing that happened yesterday matters. I do think that the Nobel Prize for Economics was just awarded this morning in Oslo to the dude who says that the human element has to be factored into your economic, your economic models. So I think there, that is basically, to me, like can be transferred to baseball. And yeah, there is a human element to this, and there is a momentum element to this, and this is... Probably, I don't know if you could say it's science, but it's definitely economics, which is what the whole game, all these front offices are based off these economic models right now. So I think there is something to it, but there's more to sale and price. being uh, Price being available, sale being at its best, and sale greater than Porcello. So just to put it on the other side, though, at the same time, instead of now facing Charlie Morton, you might have to deal with Keiko Verlander again. Verlander Keichel in there. Verlander yeah, Keichel. So that's so Charlie sort of, Morton's really gotten been really good lately. So I never thought I'd say that, but Charlie Morton has been really good lately. So I might not want to face uh, Keichel. Keichel's good. Uh, I would I would rather face Morton than Verlander. But Charlie Morton's Charlie Morton's pretty good. So the Astros for me they do have. I'll be really interested. I'm, I was a little surprised that they started Peacock over Morton the way that Morton finished the year. Roger Munter also says JJ, uh, thanks for answering my my question. In one of the recent podcasts, he will take exception with JJ for thinking Mantle was a better prospect than Mays. I, I, I agree with him. I, I think Mays was the better prospect. I, I think Mays was the better player. I think Mantle's the better prospect. The reason I say that is, is he had switch hitter who ran supposedly, like, again, when you talk about scouting a prospect, pre-knee injury time for Mickey Mantle, the ones that I've been got, given by, and I mean, when I say... If you're talking to a scout who scouted Mantle at this point, saying say. long-time scout is pretty yeah. obvious part of that. But the, 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 the times I have heard, obviously the power for Mickey Mantle was at the top. Raw power was at the all-time top of the scale. You know, again. He didn't hit the ball 565 feet. I know he didn't. But, <laughs> but he was at all-time top. just 500, that's 80 power. But yeah. all-time top of the scale. And the times, the running times were easy 80s. So sure. you had... You had that. As good as, again, I think Willie was Mays. Mays not an eight? I mean, come on. I think it was an eight. I think I he think was he was a center was, fielder at the time. Mantle was not because of Dimash. Was a, no, but Mantle was, was a actually, right field, no, when scouted, was a center. When being scouted, he was a shortstop. Uh, yeah, that's, well, he, and a bad one. Yeah, but, he was like B.J. Upton. But he had the arm, too. You know, he had, but, again, we're talking about two of the all-time greats. But yes. I do think, you know, the funny, thing is, is, the funny thing is, is that, and Babe Ruth 
would not, when we're talking about this, Babe Ruth would not. It's like, well, the body's not going to hold up very well. I think he's going <laughs> right. to all that. I do love looking at the 1951 uh Giants, who of course, uh, th that was that that the year of the Giants when the pennant. That was the year, right? 1951. I think that was the year of Bobby Thompson's shot heard around the world. Um, Giants win the pennant. Yada yada yada. Uh, that team walked more than it struck out. 671 walks, 624 strikeouts as a team. Um, and and Mays was 57 walks, 60 strikeouts. He was one of the worst strikeout to walk rates. On the team, um, it's really fun to look back. But they had also, I, I think the the difference could be at, going back in time as a prospect ranker that you had Willie Mays with a little Negro League time where you would see him at a high level of play versus Mickey Mantle. So if you're if you're dropping yourself in that time, you probably valued Mickey Mantle's minor league time over the Negro Leagues because you were probably racist in 1951. <laughs> but if you're looking at it objectively, historically. The Negro Leagues were a higher level right. of play. No so question. you would say that uh, Willie Mays doing that for the Birmingham Black Barons Ma made you more. rate him as a higher prospect. I'm just, I'm just going, yeah, back. You're going back. If you're going back, so the MLEs on that that's would, what I'm be, saying, would exactly. be better that's than the I'm MLEs headed. on, you know. That's where I was headed. So that, that it took me a long while to get there. I think you both thought I was going to embarrass myself, but I didn't. So <laughs> no, I, I think, I, I just, oh, I, you were, I, it was fraught. <laughs> that, that whole train of, of uh, that was like, I was like Snowpiercer. That whole train of thought was just, Fraught with peril at all sides. So yes, I thought that all of humanity was going to die in that. In that, uh, that's my first Snowpiercer reference. Did you ever see that movie? I did not. It's I... a pretty random movie. It's one of the weirder apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic movies. To, to wrap this Please. up, because we need to, uh, you know, so happy which, Columbus Day, everybody. Yeah. So which indigenous peoples? Day. So, so which, so which series do you think goes? Which series do you think goes five? I, I think the Cubs Nationals one is the best one. It's just I, I mean I'm, I know I'm barring from the NBA, but the series don't start till someone wins on the road. That series started from game one, and we've had our share of drama and moments in that series. So I'm, that that's the best one so far, and I think that will continue to be the best one. I mean, we, I think the best game was the Indians 13 inning win, but I still think we have. I think that's the best series. Yeah, Cubs Nats is the best series. I do feel like at the beginning when I said. Uh, I had the Astros uh, Red Sox was the one that gave me the toughest time to pick, and John told me I was wrong because the Astros <laughs> were going to run them over. So they I did stayed. the first two games. They did the first two games, but I, I actually am intrigued. I, I I don't know, maybe I have too much faith in the Red Sox, but I I kind of think they're going to put this to five, and the Astros are going to feel a little bit of pressure on them. I just like the way that as much as Porcello has struggled. I don't know. The Red Sox at home, backs against the wall. I, I kind of have a feeling they're going to make it an entertaining one. Anybody watch any of the FS1 post game where after the Red Sox Astros game with the after game three, where Poppy Big Poppy was asked a question and answered about the Red Sox and then finished by saying, "I'm so happy." <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag journalism in 2017. I, I will I will say no, no, but the fact the Red Sox won a playoff game that they started Doug Fister in, <laughs> that's impressive. Get yeah, I'll leave uh, it at that. But uh, but no, so it is going to be a crazy day. We do hope that the weather, you know. Yeah, we might only get two games today. We might get three. Let's hope we get four. You know, um, but if we're going to get four, the thing I do hope is this: I don't want this to be something where you have two innings and then rain comes. And I, I would hate to see these games, any either of these uh, AL games, determined somewhat by well, the rain came at the right time for this team, the wrong time for this team, things like that. Yes, I agree. Uh, thanks for putting up with me, guys. Uh, JJ and Kyle, that was fun. Uh, we want to thank our followers and listeners for tuning in today. Today's podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at Baseballism.com. 
Enter the offer code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. Visit baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and much more today. We'll be back tomorrow uh, talking about however many games we have in the Major League Playoffs uh, here on Monday, October the 9th. For J.J. Cooper and Kyle Glazer, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.